Hello everybody and welcome to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy YouTube channel and podcast actually. And this is regular host Aaron Percival and joining me is regular partner in crime Eric Adams, also known as Xenomorphine. And we're back to continue on from something we uh, originally got to talk to somebody to about four years, oh god, five years ago. It was in the past, yeah. When we had the pleasure of speaking to a performer from Alien War. Back then we had one, now we're going to give you three. So, welcome to the podcast, Stephen Pyatt, Doug McCarthy, and Toby, I forgot his second name. Toby, sorry. Greenfield. Greenfield, cool. Welcome to the show, guys. Pleasure to have you on. Thank you. We are quite obviously going to be talking a lot of Alien War, as you'll probably tell from the t-shirts we've got on display there. Oh, no, Stephen's got the new one. I don't know where mine is. This one was given to me by Tony at Baptist, and he said it was an original. Oh. I've got one from Alien War, I still don't know if it is. It was actually the Armourer's Crew t-shirt. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Because that, that's the MP, uh, the MP5 drawing, isn't it? Yes. It's the drawing that was done right back at the start, and then back to sort of made it all work. Yeah. Right, well, we are going to be talking Alien War, and we've got a fuck ton of questions for these guys. <laughs> I hope everybody's ready for that. But before we do start chatting Alien War, I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to come and chat to us, and just tell us and our, li- our listeners a little about yourselves outside of the Alien franchise. Who are you guys, and what do you do? And uh, we'll start with the big man himself, Mr. Stephen Pyatt. I don't get references to big man throughout my life. <laughs> What I do outside of this currently is I have a two and a half year old son and partners who have got better jobs than, than anyone could ever dream of. So I'm basically a full time dad, milking it for all it's worth, you know, until he goes back to school and I have to go and get work again. So that's my life currently is looking after a, a monster. If you thought Xenos were bad, two and a half year old children are, are at least a, at least a par. <laughs> that's I'm kind of glad I've been avoiding them so far, but everybody else seems quite happy. I don't know if the happy is the right word. Content, possibly, under certain conditions, right, Doug? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's definitely conditional. <laughs> <laughs> what about you then, Doug? I was um, six years straight from school at Rolls-Royce, which is now Leeson Studios, funnily enough, doing military helicopter engines. And from there, I went on to tour for four years with a couple of bands around Europe. And then I got to see a, which I'll go into later, an advert, and went for this audition at Alien War. And then I got the job, <laughs> luckily. Uh, and after that, I got into film, and I was um, over 25 years in special effects and some armory as well for quite a few major films and TV shows. And retired pretty much at the moment, but looks like I will be going back in about October time to uh, have a play with special effects. Again. Okay, Toby, take us away for the uh, the last one. I guess you gather from the fact that I was at Alien War that I had some involvement in acting and uh, I was born into an acting family and I've been uh, more or less forced to perform ever since I was a baby. I was a DJ for many years as well. Uh, my main source of income these days, though, is plumbing, believe it or not. But I've got three professional plays this year and possibly a film as well. I'm st- I've still got my hand in, so to speak. And that's me, really. Some very succinct uh, introductions here. I thought you were asking about what we do now. Well, who are you? What do you do? Well, who were you before Alien War as well? Have you got have you got more for that one, Steve? Before Alien War, mate, my story is much more interesting. Go on then, back back to you, Stephen. 
uh, let me see now. I was one of these kids at school who was too intelligent for his own good and didn't know what he wanted to do. So I left school and bummed around for a few years until I was practically unemployable because you'd go somewhere looking for a job and they'd look at your resume and be like, oh, you worked here a month, there two months, here three weeks. If we take you on today, you'll be gone in a month. So I became unemployable. Then I thought, well, I know, I joined the army. So I joined the army instead. I did that from about 19 years old to 21 years old. Left the army after a nice time in the desert. Went home, got a job working for the government in their security position. Uh, ended up being a security controller for the British government in the Docklands area. Started living in Docklands. I was in my office one day when the radio came on with the Capital Radio job search. And they were looking for the you know, usual plumbers in Peckham, carpenters in Clapham. The only was space marines at the top of the Aero Centre. And I was like, well, what the hell was that? Of course, I was not, I would say, very familiar with Aliens because that was in 93. You know, if, if you didn't, if you weren't a cinema projectionist, the only place you could see a movie in those days was if they put it on the television or if you went to cinema to see it. So I'd seen it, I think, once. My shift finished at 7 o'clock in the morning, the day of the audition. I went along straight from work, got there about half past 7, 20 to 8, and there was no one there. We can carry this on now, Doug. This leads into the, the original process, doesn't it? So I went down to McDonald's, and um, being a quite a large chap, you know, I bought up half McDonald's and walking down the street eating like five or six breakfasts. And uh, there were a couple of people there, and one of them was Lee Marshall, and I think the other one was you, Doug. It was me, uh, Anthony was in front of me, there was someone in front of me, there was me and Big Stu, and then you. Yeah, so I was like fourth or fifth, I think, in the queue, but I managed to switch around with you and Stu, I think, at some point, I went in before you, didn't I? Yeah, I think it was your military training. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you see, when you're, when you're the first five in the queue, it doesn't matter who goes in first, no. you know you're going to get a scene first. No, we did, we did all go in together as a group of about, I think, about eight. Yeah, we sat down downstairs, and then we got given the script and about three or four seconds to learn it, and then one at a time we were thrown off the stage to, to perform. Do you, you still remember the first two lines? You had to call out the ones, the scripted ones. What were they? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Wayland Tani Alien Research Facility. And then it was yeah, that does, you have to remember three things at all times, yes. wasn't it? Yeah, it was one of them was listen to the marine and follow his orders. Yeah, was the other one was stay with the group at all times. I think. Third one, we had to ad lib. Please, yeah. classic. The third one was ad lib. And I went in there and I said, um, obey the Marines' orders at all times, stay with the group at all times, and do not, and I repeat, do not feed the animals. <laughs> um, and there was a laugh up in there. And when I walked in there, I mean, I walked in there, I was like 18 months out of the real army. So I walked in there, crew car, bomber jacket, camouflage trousers and boots, in the military bearing, and walked on the stage. And someone up in the darkness went, him! So I was quite confident at that point. This is before I'd even done my audition that they liked me. But I did. I must have looked like the most age, the most typical soldier you'd ever seen at that age, 23 years old. But uh, the other guy here, the one who's not saying much, has got a better story than us do. <laughs> we didn't have to do that audition process. I joined Alien War in Bournemouth, and uh, I was recuperating from a bad car accident, and uh, I wasn't working. And my sister phoned me up to say, I've just seen an advert in the Evening Echo. She said, all you got to do is dress up as a Marine and stand around on trade stands and things for the summer season in the Bournemouth International Centre, the BIC. Here's the phone number. So I rang this number and they said, oh, yeah, all right, Saturday, whatever time, 10 o'clock, at the stage door of the pavilion in Bournemouth. Okay. So I turned up and there were hundreds of people there and I thought, well, blimey, jobs must be short in Bournemouth. Anyway, it was my turn to go in. I was handed a script. You've got five minutes to learn that and then you're on stage. Really? I had no idea what I was doing there. I had nothing, no idea. I had anything to do with aliens or alien war. No idea at all. Anyway, I walk, it was my turn to go on stage. I walked out, massive stage, and about six rows back, there were half a dozen people sitting. I did the lines. They said, yeah, can you wait backstage? Anyway, the next guy that went on, or woman, I can't remember, was told, no, we don't need you. You can leave. At the end of several hours, 
there was about 35 or 40 left, perhaps. And we were all filed onto the stage. And one by one, we had to step forward. And in the style of an American Marine, give our name and some other information, and then back in line. And, and they canted us off and said, you, we want you to stay. You can go, you can go, you can stay. And there was about, at the end of two or three lots of that happened, there was only about 20 people left. But we made up all the Marines, all the plants, all the aliens, all the front of house, everything for Bournemouth. And then, of course, training. That's another story, really. But then when Bournemouth shut after the summer season, I was asked by Gary Gillies if I'd join London. So I became a part of that in the very early days, along with Julia Peters, who was also a Marine, and Jeff Parsons, who was an alien. Very good, very, very good alien. And also Bill Thomas, of course, who had joined in Aberdeen. He was the tech man for Alien War from Aberdeen through Bournemouth and London until it closed. That's some dedication, travelling from one end of the country, then. With the queue outside the Trocadero, there were 4,000 people turned up for 40 vacancies. So they had the, the, best, yeah. the best actors they could possibly imagine out of that you know, 2,000 people. So is it 2,000 people? 40, yeah, 40 places, 2,000 people. And we're standing there in the queue, and this guy here walks out in the Marine gear on with a, another chick, uh, and uh, was it another two chicks there? You the only guy there with it. With, uh, with his there like, was machine gun looking thing, this big black machine gun looking thing. And then almost immediately got police attention, didn't you? No, several hours later, I was the only one on the street at the time in, in the gear, and I had a pulse rifle. And this van pulled up, <laughs> big red van, and all these armed policemen jumped out on the deck, <laughs> the spread eagle on the crane. No one thought to tell the local police that there might be people with like fake machine guns on the street outside the Trocadero. They, they obviously weren't taking any chances, you know. Well, how about that? That must have been an experience. God, I'm only I'm only here for an audition. God, they joined in the fun after a while and had a few photographs <laughs> taken with us and what have you. So. <laughs> Yeah, apparently, apparently those sort of police like guns. I don't know how they make that connection. <laughs> yeah, well. So um, you you came from Bournemouth. Stephen, you heard it on the radio, was that right? I lived in Dockland, so I had maybe a 25-minute journey. Okay. And Doug, where did you learn about the um, opportunity? I was living in Watford at the time, and I was just grabbed a sandwich, and I found a newspaper. I never read newspapers. I'm just not into it. But I just happened to open this page, and it said 20th century boxes, Alien War London. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. What's that? I always wanted to get into special effects as a child. And I thought, oh, this would be fantastic. So I, went, I sent a letter in, I phoned up and I said, I'll send your CV. And I thought, I don't remember telling her I did performance, things like that. But I, I did, I wrote a CV. I had been working at the time for Carol Dina, Paul Collins' sister, at our agency. So I kind of put them back there. And that I used to drink with the local Americans. And that's how I got invited along. And then I didn't realise I was having an audition. I never acted in my life. It was a bit of a shock for me. So not not really aware that it was performing as such then? No. Well, no, no, no one knew, did they? No one knew what it was for because it was supposed to be a top secret, wasn't it? Toby knew at that point, but yeah, even he didn't know. I did, but I wasn't auditioning, was I? You were. <laughs> you knew where we got it. We had, to, we had to write in, didn't we, to get a, a place. And it was uh, the address was Wayland Utani, Trocadero, something like that. <laughs> so I started off my letter and they wanted a picture of you to show off your build. And so I got my mate to take some pictures of me, stripped to the waist, you know, <laughs> set it off with a letter addressed to Dear Mr. Utani. <laughs> so was a lot of it just physical as well then? Was, was that the appeal? 
Well, I mean, it, it was it was very hard work, wasn't it, Stoke? I think the casting process, though, they were particularly looking for people that could portray soldiers. And to do that, you're going to the fit guys, you know, the guys who look fit. Whether you're fit or not is irrelevant. If you look fit, that, that's what they wanted. It's all make-believe, Aaron. It's all made up. None of it's real. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> I had enough nightmares as a kid with, with the chest burst. I don't need that in my adult life, knowing it's real. I was going to say, what what were they for the soldiers? They were looking for physicality. What were they looking for in the alien performers? Very, very tall and very, very thin. Yes, tall and thin. So you had to be over six two or something like that, didn't you? Yeah, the ones the ones we had on the only night were fantastic. A lot of the guys were like six foot six, six foot seven. Later on, we had a guy who was a Tai Chi expert, so he moved really well, and, and it was great. Some of them were brilliant. When we we talk later about the first seeing the the aliens, wow. Yeah, I'll explain that as we go along. We've got a tradition on the podcast in general to ask all our guests, so this will go out to all of you, basically. Um, do you remember the first time you encountered, you know, the fandom, the alien fandom? Which film was it? Do you remember your, your first experience of getting familiar with Alien? My brother went to see Alien. He was five years older than me, and I was too young. But he, he said was just amazing. So as soon as I could sneak in, I went to see it. And yeah, it blew me away. What a fantastic film. When Aliens came out, I was quite busy and I was away. And I, I didn't see it. And I didn't see it for about two years afterwards. And when I did, I was kicking myself. Because suddenly, I, I think this is one of the only few films where I thought that the, the second one of it was as good and in some places better. So yeah, it was jaw-dropping. I remember being, a, I think I was a nine-year-old kid when the first one came out, and a, a neighbour, you know, the rich neighbour, had a Betamax video recorder. I don't yeah. know what that is. That's, uh, yeah, yeah. that's right. Like, you know, if you had one of those now, well, you get a load of money for it, and you get at least a file, wouldn't you? In those days, you had uh, video releases that came in two stages. They came out for the public, you know, a lot longer after the movie. You're talking like two or three years. If you had a couple of hundred pounds, you could buy the movie like six months after it was released. As soon as the, the sales started to die down at the cinema, they'd bung them out on whatever format people people would, could use. And that was the only format available was Betamax. So I remember all the parents getting together to go around to this neighbor's house to watch Alien. And then my mother coming home crying at like, you know, midnight. What's going on with this breakfast? I was just going about breakfast. I was like, what the hell? And then obviously the time passed. And I think I saw Aliens maybe. I think it was, or it must have been on the TV by around about, what, 88, 89? The theatrical version. They didn't have a director's cut, did they? It was just the original one. I saw on TV one late one night, like, you know, midnight or something like that. Because even in those days, they put on scary movies late in the evening. You know, there was no nine o'clock watershed. They just didn't mess around. And that's when I first saw it. But that, it has to be said, the difference between movies and Alien War. Well, movies are kind of like a virtual reality, aren't they, guys? But Alien War, Alien War was... Total reality. (laughs) (laughs) My first encounter with the Xenomorph was uh, the film Alien in the cinema. Always been a science fiction fan. In space, no one can hear you scream. I like the tagline. I thought, I'm going to go and watch this movie, which I did on my Todd. And uh, I sat there and I thought, what a fantastic movie. I came out of there thinking, brilliant. Would you have gone to see if it had been called Star Beast? <laughs> no. <laughs> I may have done. I doubt it. But, it, but yeah, I thought it was fantastic. And then in 86, when it came out, I went to see that as well. And whilst it's very, very good, it's got its own merits, I don't think it, it's not the same kind of film as Alien. Alien was a horror movie in space, and Aliens was an action movie in space. They're different, and they're both very good. 
And I think I think that's why it worked so well as a sequel because it wasn't trying to be the same film. I think that was great. No, quite. I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, the alien design varied quite a lot as well, didn't it? I mean, the original alien had a smooth head, and then the aliens ones, they had big lumpy bits down the side. There they? was an issue with lighting, apparently, and also um, I heard from one of the preacher guys that those clear bones used to crack quite regularly. Oh, from the heat. From the heat, yeah, the studio lights, yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever been on a set anywhere, but it, it, it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was, there was a fear that they'd break over um, like the stunt nature of, of, of Aliens rather than Alien as well. Well, to be honest, if that was me doing that, I would have just made them as painted soft. Because in a stunt move, everything's fast. You can't see it. Which is why you have a stunt performer instead of a, a live actor most of, most of the time. Yeah, they don't, they don't do very, very long shots in those sort of movies, Aaron. I mean, you're talking maybe two or three seconds, then another two, three seconds added on, and then another two, three seconds. There's not really a case that someone's got to run for like, you know, two minutes while they video and jumping over things, and Marines, Marines getting grabbed and blasting and all that. So Marines get glad they're cut, cut, and have someone else different angle doing it with, like, you know, a close up on the alien mouth and all that stuff. Movie magic, they call it. It was, it was just, a, I think, something Tom had said that Jim had said, as in Tom uh, Woodruff. Right. Because we, we had the chance to speak to those a couple of months yeah. at the start of the year, actually. So, yeah, we, we talked about aliens on that one as well. But I think that's half the charm of, of the series as well. Everything's aesthetically different, whether that's down to the alien, whether that's down to the colour palette of the film, whether that's down to the tone and genre of the film as well. You know, it's- Every art, art director and production designer want to put their own mark on things. That is in any film. I like the bit, the bit, the bit that strikes me in Aliens is when you've got them in, the, I think they're in the EV and they're all holding their pulse rifles up like that. And if you look closely, you can see on the bottom of the pulse rifle whether it says D or L. D, D stood for dummy, blank virus. That's the sort of thing that they should really take care of in post-production, but didn't. <laughs> it wasn't needed then. Those little hooks like that is what will go crazy over years later, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. will just go crazy over that stuff. Look at the discussion about how did how did an egg get into the uh, escape pod with Newt and and uh, and Ripley in it? That sort of, that just goes on and on. And was it Wisbowski or was it yeah. where's Bowski? Wisbowski, Trevor Stegman, friend of mine. Well, he lived two hundred yards from where I'm sitting right now. Kind of the best bit about it, Toby. You didn't know he was in the movie until he died, did you? I didn't know he was in the movie until he moved away to seek stardom, I suppose. He was Lewis Collins' stuntman in Who Dares Wins. He moved away from Sturminster and became a stuntman, stunt organiser, stunt coordinator, and got certain parts in different films, including Wazbowski in Aliens. And uh, we lost contact. And then some years ago, I found his profile on Facebook. And I asked him what the alien stuff was for that he had on his Facebook. And he said, well, I was Wazbowski. Eh? Really? I didn't know. I'd watched the film about a dozen times and I didn't see him. And he's a mate of mine. Oh, my God. He's not exactly, he's not exactly prominent, though, is he, in the movie? He's not like, like uh, Michael Bian or Hudson. Uh, no, he's not. But there are moments when he's definitely there at front of camera. He, he, so. he keeps doing that, that guy. Trevor kept doing that. I mean, I've seen about five or six films. I didn't know he was in any of them. The one that, the one that comes to mind is the one, Three uh, and Out, I think, which was one was done by one of the guys from The Office. Uh, it was about a train thing and where, where two guys had killed themselves in front of his train. He'd heard that if another one happens, he gets a huge payment and two years off or something. So he goes out to try and persuade people to throw themselves in front of the train. But one of the two people that dies in front of the train has a heart attack on the platform and falls in front of the train is Trevor Stedman again. Yeah. But if you watch right. it, he's only, his face is only on there for a couple of seconds. You know, and it's only when people like, you know, the, in the, the fan group say, oh, yeah, he was in that movie. And I'm, I'm like, what, what did he do in that movie? And they're like, well, remember the guy who had a heart attack in front of the train? And you're like, no way. 
Bomber Harris in Snatch as well, he was. Bomber Harris in Snatch, yeah. We, we, we had that one a few times where people in groups have said, where's Balski? And someone posted, oh, well, here he is, a clip of him in a Snatch getting knocked out by... Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt, yeah. One punch. Eric, just, just going back to your original question about... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it out because it makes sense to me, about asking the first time you ever encountered the alien. Well, that was the opening night. And I've told Toby and, and Steve about this. Toby took the first group through. I took the second group. And we didn't have the pulse rifles working at the time, so we were given blank firing. And I was given a German Wolf at P-38 from World War II. And I thought, oh, really? That's going to shoot aliens, is it? So we've done all the rehearsing with the guys. They were tall, slim, did the moves. We'd never seen an alien suit. I hadn't on a person. Had you not done rehearsals? We had re- rehearsals with no costumes. Oh. So we hadn't seen anything. Most of our rehearsals were upstairs. It was marked out with chalk. So we knew the base as chalk lines. So when we went in there, because it was still being built on the day, on the opening night, I had to help grind through the wall to take the door, put a door in. <laughs> <laughs> so we were all working on it. But the first attack, got them all in. They backed up. I've got Brian Glover, all the Alien 3 guys, and I'm giving it the best motion track. Have we got movements? Blah, blah, blah. Flick the switch, the, eight, the lights go out, the screen comes on, and you expect an alien to be standing there. Only there was three of them. <laughs> and I had not, and I really <laughs> <laughs> like it. The strobe lighting was just amazing. There was one crawling along the floor. One stood up like that and put his hands out and moved his head. And one dropped from the ceiling. And I was like, ah! And I'm trying to shoot this blank fire that jacked. <laughs> Wow. Get the mag back and click, bang, 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 run! And I absolutely, it scared the hell out of me. And it wasn't until I'd gone round I realised how stupid. I was expecting it. (laughs) But that first memory has stuck with me, and I will never forget it. If if you're a Marine, it was different because you knew what was going to happen. But the civilians had no concept. They had no idea at all. And I remember I I was there about six months before I thought, what? I'm not even being through this yet as a civilian. So I joined the group. And there's me who knows all the all the uh, alien actors by, by first name basis, all the Marines by first name, I know the layout of the base. I've gone through this group. The alien appears. I have to chat <laughs> myself. Same as Doug. Because you're just, I haven't got a weapon. Oh, my God. You know, and that's the guy over there. And let's say who, who probably you're thinking, uh, probably isn't as competent a soldier as I was, who's got the guns. What you wanted to do was elbow him, get the gun, save them, and do a leg up, leg it. Leave the people, leave the people to the alien. But yeah, it was scary <laughs> as hell. Even if you knew, if you knew everything, it was still scary because we we analyze this later. Your brain has a flight or fight mechanism, but it doesn't take chances. If your brain thinks there's any slight danger, it's always going to press okay, run. Always, you know. So you get that that primal fear. You know, you just seen that you come out of the cave in the morning. You just seen a leopard. That sort of thing. You, run! Don't don't risk it. Run. And that's how it's for everybody. Everybody got like that. Even the ones who sometimes attack the aliens out of maybe fear or surprise or, you know, they, they had the same thing. Same thing going through their head. It, was, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to show when how tough I am. It was like, oh, yeah, run. Did you ever get, did you get jaded to it over time, though? Or was it always still effective for you? Did it stay that immersive for you guys? <laughs> for me, I didn't stay there as long as these two. I, I, I did the Bournemouth run and then I did... I worked full time on it from opening up till Christmas, and then 
I went away to New Zealand for six weeks, I think, in January. And when I came back, actually, I think I was still full time when I came back, but it became too much for me traveling from Oxford in every day. And uh, I couldn't afford to live in London. That's when I took over the supervisor at Christmas. And then, yeah, I remember you came to me and asked if, you, if I could change your shifts. Yeah. The money, to be honest with you, wasn't very good. You had to love it. <laughs> I did love the job, but I had to live as well. And so I moved back to Dorset and used to tra- get out on a train on a Saturday morning, stay with Bill on a Saturday night and travel back on a train on a Sunday. And I loved it. I bloody loved it. But um, it went wrong. I think, yeah, to answer your question directly, do, do did we ever get jaded from terrifying groups of people? No. No, that, did we that, that was the hook, wasn't it? Every time. You might get jaded with your performers or the set or, or the management, but you never get jaded with seeing like, you know, like three or four girls in a group of uh, 12 of the other guys screaming their heads off when they're men like trying to cuddle them. It's like, it's a xenomorph. It's cuddling them. It's not going to save it. It's going to rip you to pieces, you know. And they knew that. And that's what you got off on, the fear, I think. I think we're kind of, after a while, after we were like professional sadists, weren't we, after a while? <laughs> How can we make it scarier to get even more of a fear reaction out of these people? Yeah, you know, they were terrified. Xenomorph Eric at the top there, you tell you. It was yeah. scary. Yeah, right, most of it was down to the strobe lighting, from what I remember. That did, that did, a, that did a lot. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, there's, there is a difference between, you know, actors doing the rounds but when you've got that strobe lighting it just adds a whole other dimension to what so even if you're going oh i'm gonna have a good time it i remember going and you just in this queue and you've got the monitors and it was hyped as like bright lights and explosions and stuff so when you actually went through it and a lot was this strobe lighting like as a customer i just me and my friends as well. And none of us were expecting the, the darkness and stuff to come into play as much as it did. So I think that really helped to sell it as not just uh, like a, a day out, but as a, like a visceral experience. In the same way as it did with Ridley Scott's, you know, the original Alien, when it's just in the shuttle and it's doing nothing, but you're just having these strobe lighting and it just comes on and off. Especially that part that I did react to, have a physical reaction, where the alien is just suddenly just standing there. And as I remember it, the Marines say to you, they don't have eyes, so they're not going to see you, but they will hear you. So if it comes here, don't make a sound. So we were all kind of like psychologically prepped for that as well. But even with that, people were just going, ah, and when you had someone taken. (laughs) But I remember the person that was abducted, I was thinking, are are they an actor? Because he just got grabbed in the elevator, I think it was, and he was like getting pulled through by this alien. He was just going, ha, ha, ha. And I was just, what? (laughs) That's a bit weird. Weird. But you did because it was just sudden, and I think there you also had a lighting thing happen. But a lot of it was, yeah, you just had this suspense, and then these you just blacked out, and then sometimes you had an alien there, but it would just light, 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 and it works on the same principle as some of the viewers out there might be familiar with the new Doctor Who with the Stone Angels, where if you look away from them and then look back and they're, they're suddenly a lot closer to you. And cl- it works on the exact same, but it was a live performance. You had that in live action around you. It, made, it, it really added something. That was a major part of it, the strobe lighting and the sound, as well as the performance of the alien hmm. as well. Some were way better than others. Some were good, some weren't quite so good, and they didn't stay very long, but the great ones were just phenomenal to watch. You just wanted to watch them. Some of the moves that came out of it were just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I mean, there was some footage from some of the various documentaries online of 
And I was surprised of somebody doing the, you know, the the movie leap from yeah. the wall to the floor kind of thing. Somebody in a suit doing this in your sets. And I was like, Jesus Christ, that's that's brilliant. There were about two or three guys that were really, really athletic. And they used to hang up and spring around a lot. And that was good. It was good to watch. I wanted to ask you about the prep. So, you know, you've, you've mentioned the chalk outline thing. You've mentioned starting it not... <laughs> not having seen the aliens in suits before what was the prep process was was it literally walking through the script on the chalk art lines or was this stuff like physical stuff as well trying to get even more in that appearance it was basically we were split into groups so i think there was about was there about 40 or 50 of us up there steve wasn't there groups of 10 i remember it's groups of 10 i think there were four groups of 10 marines yeah Maybe you put them all through, didn't he? Uh, the Marine in each group and showed them what to do at each point. And then it, and it, it was learning by rote. I don't know how many times we did that over that first week. Yeah. I mean, we were finishing every day at what, 3 o'clock, 3 30, but we were starting at 9. And it was just like, you had like half an hour for lunch or something. Anyway, get back again, you know. And it was just, it was just constant. It was repetition. I was quoting the script in my sleep. <laughs> Out there. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> never done anything like that in my life. But it was so ingrained because, like Steve said, we were going round, 10 of us in a group, one of them was the Marine, and we'd swap round. So for every 10 goes, you got to do it. But by that time, you picked up what was good and what was bad of the other people. So you learned quickly because we all knew that not all of us were going to have a job. So we were really trying to be there for the opening night. They took on 40 at the audition, but they didn't take on 40 for the um, actual attraction, did they? Yeah, that's right. And they, how many did they lose out of that? Was it another 10 or something? I think it was ten on the after the first night, yeah, something like that. And I was I was also work, working out my notice for the government doing night shift, so I had to, I was going to work in the evening at seven p.m. to seven a.m. Leaving work and getting there for nine and working through till three o'clock, sort of getting home at like four thirty, having an hour and a half sleep, then going to do another twelve hour shift at work at night, and then carried on for the rest of the week. So I, I must have kept the Pro Plus company afloat that entire week and you know, amount of money. But I don't know if I get Pro Plus and some more coffee. And, uh, and the last night there was Thursday, Thursday. I can't remember we finished on a Thursday because the Friday was supposed to be every night. We finished on a Thursday or so, and, and they said, oh, we've got some film crew coming along later on to do some filming. And I guess that even at that point, I was still the one who looked most like a soldier. They said, Steve, you can stay behind for the film. And I'm like, huh, what? You know, you know, okay, okay. And these guys were all fucked off down the pub. And I'm still there in, in the two or three hours in the, in the Marine gear for a film crew that didn't actually turn up. Ooh, oh, that's even fucking worse. Yeah, yeah. Two, three hours of me thinking, I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be famous. I'll go home, Steve. Yeah. Oh. Stephen and I got friendly straight away in the queue. We, we clicked, definitely. And while we were doing the training and the rehearsing, we, we would always chat to each other and have a laugh. But I'm, I'm type 1 diabetic, so I always had to carry glucose tablets just in case my blood sugar dropped. And I was always popping up to Steve to keep him awake and just help him get going. <laughs> Just on that, on the topic of the camera crew stuff, did it get a lot of media attention? You know, because I've I've seen footage of like everybody outside around the Queen and stuff like that. But oh, yeah. throughout, it was how long did it run for? Was it three years, four years? It, it ran from '93 till '90, early '96. So yeah, for the three years, did it did it maintain that sort of high level of interest? It was, it was end from... of '93 to early '96. So it was like more like uh, two years and three months or something like that, wasn't it? Well, yeah, it was. Um... I was there 18 months, 18, 19 months, I think. I think I was there about maybe nine months, maybe maybe 12 months, I don't know, somewhere between that. Yeah, we had, for instance, the Disney Disney Club come in on one of the videos. Who are we going to do this? 
Now, all the ones you see, if you look it up on YouTube, Alien War London, there's loads of videos, me and Steve and a few of them, a few of the other guys, Maria, Wes, all that. But this Disney one was, I was supervising them, so I was helping them set it all up. And I can't remember who the Marines were. I've never seen it because it was, it was the Disney Club Saturday morning thing because everything has to be toned down. So all the videos you see that were done for TV, there's no footage of our aliens at all. It was all clips from the original advert, maybe a clip from the film. We weren't allowed to show them. Fox said no. So it was really, really strict, which is why there was no cameras allowed in there, all the equipment, all that. And was part of the first briefing. But yeah, things were happening through all that time where a company would come and say, Look, can we do a thing on this? And like an editorial or you know, a show for our TV show and blah, blah, blah. And it did happen. The majority was at the start because it was a new thing and everyone wanted to get involved, you know, but it did carry on. It's, it's interesting to hear how high the interest maintains with this kind of thing as well, because it, like I said, even now it is part of it is a part of the fandom. You know, it's this huge part of the history. So it's good to hear it was still like that back then. On the subject of the, um, you know, going back to the opening night stuff, I mean, one of you mentioned Brian Glover, no longer with us, of course, um, and some of the Alien 3 people. You also had Sigourney Weaver being led around. Can you talk about how any moments that stood out for you from their reactions or anything? Yeah, I've got a funny point. Can I do this one first, Doug? Because mine's very yeah, brief. Go on, yeah, come on. I don't know about any of that because I was the looker. So they had me up outside at the top gate, standing on the street, being filmed by film crews, watching everyone come in and standing there, like, you know, doing the basically the paparazzi guarding with my mate Tim. That was it. Yeah. I was up there for about three and a half hours, I think. The golden boy downstairs here got to take the, the famous people through. That was Toby. And he's not here. Where's he gone? His computer, his computer has died. Apparently there was a toss of a coin that Gary Gillis did whether Toby or myself would take Sigourney through. Toby won the toss, and he took the first ever group, which was Sigourney, Lance Henriksen, and quite a lot of the Fox executives, I think. Vico Ross. The second group was my one, which was Brian Glover, a few of the Alien 3 guys, some of the producers. Brian's son was in there as well. But before we actually started doing all this, Gary had told all of us, he said, if anybody asks you if you're actors, you say no. You are the Colonial Marine Corps. Okay. So Sigourney, I was asked to tail her and keep keep an eye on her for about, I don't know, about an hour or so. And there's quite a lot of photos, actually. I'll, I'll send some over to you later, which we've still got. But she turned around to me and she said, so are you guys actors? I went, no, man, Marines. <laughs> looked at her. And she went, no. Maria has the same story. Yeah. Maria Bergman, who, who was basically our Vasquez because she looked the part, so she had the red bandana. Everyone knows Maria, right? She was actually given the job of bodyguarding Sigourney later on, so she had to follow her around all, everywhere. And Sigourney also said to her, are you an actress? And she said, no, ma'am, I'm a Marine. <laughs> At this point, I imagine that Sigourney had asked maybe half a dozen of the cast, are you an actor? No, I'm a Marine, ma'am. It, it was all as one, wasn't it? But then that's not difficult. You're telling an actor, basically, stay in role. Yeah. Okay. Did she ever find out about that little instruction? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think she found out. No. Might have been she was asking you, are you an actor? I could put you in contact with another production or something. I'd just like to say something. I worked with Sigourney again on a movie in Spain called The Cold Light of Day. I think it was about 2009. And I spoke to her. We were on set and I'd just been wiring up some pyrotechnics. And I spoke to her and I said, I've met you before. And she said, oh, really? What was that on? I said, Alien War. And she went... Oh, my God, Toby's back. Hey! 
And I said to her about that time when she said, are you an actor? And I said, no, ma'am, I'm a Marine. So I did tell her. Good. You blew our cover. <laughs> yeah, Toby might be able to contribute. Um, we were just saying about um, opening night and leading Sigourney Weaver, Brian Glover, all those guests around. We were just wondering if you had any, um, you know, memories from their experiences going around the VIPs. You had a, they had a toss, didn't they, Toby? And you came first. Well... Uh, I see. I, I've never said this before, but I remember that slightly differently. But it doesn't matter really. Yeah, it was tell Doug McCarthy we tossed a coin. <laughs> well, that might have been said. Anyway, I took the first group in, which was Sigourney Weaver, Lance Henriksen, Rico Ross, Charlie, whatever his name was. Was he in my group? I can't remember. But there were twelve people anyway, and it was all going very well until we got to the EV. And uh, there's a button you press to bring a fa- start a strobe and bring a face hugger down into the EEV. And uh, the strobe went off, but there was no face hugger. Didn't appear. No, there was no alien in those days, was there? There was no alien in the EEV. It was all the face hugger. You're supposed to go, ah, face hugger, and run away. So I pressed the button again, and it still didn't come. I just pulled the pistol out of my holster, stuck it up the hole where the strobe was coming from, let off two or three shots, and said, move it and get out! And we ran out the door. Of course, a bloody loud noise in a confined area with Sigourney Weaver, Lance Henriksen, Rico Ross, and all these dignitaries. I got some funny looks, I can tell you. It was bloody loud. <laughs> but you could get away with it, though, because you're in charge. What about over the, the, the course of the rest of the attractions like? In terms of celebrity guests, that is, you know, it was the number one attraction in London for ages. And, you know, Carrie Hem went through it, and there's a story about Michael Jackson's bodyguard yeah. running out screaming. Jonah Lomu went through it. I took Les Dennis through it. And that's enough said, because if I say any more, I'll get done for slander. We had, we had one day, we had uh, someone come and got me. I think I was upstairs and said, Steve, we need you downstairs. And I was like, why? I said, I'm, I'm handing out leaflets. They were like, we need you to take a group through. And I said, well, who's the group? They said, it's the New Zealand All Blacks. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. This was at the height of their, their play when they were winning everything. And their, their star player, Jonah Lomu, who's like six foot six and weighed about 25 stone was like the, the, the sort of boss, the team captain. And, and there he was. I came downstairs, there he was. And Julian was there. I think Julian was, was crapping himself. <laughs> and we, we took them in. And uh, when that EEV door opened, and, it, and after the fact they ripped the face like a mechanics out, thrown it away, and we had a live alien come in, as Eric would testify. Oh, yeah. Hey, Eric. So <laughs> 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 we had the alien appear. Jonah Lomu took one look at it, shrieked, and he was gone. Through the open door, <laughs> he was out there, and it, we were supposed to come out there and turn right. He went out and turned left. We had to send another marine to search the base for Jonah Lomu, and it, they found him up <laughs> near the egg chamber, sort of like in the corner, terrified. <laughs> and it was like, it was like, what the hell's going on? You know, the guy was so athletic. It's got to be said, he was a, a giant, but he moved like he was. He wanted to be gone. He was gone. There's no one could catch him either. Yeah, yeah. he was like, a, it was he like a thirty mile an hour runner or something, wasn't he? He was, he oh, was like, yeah, yeah. Mass, massive, fast, yeah. We had quite a lot of people come in. We, I wrote a few down. We had, we had Graham McPherson in the Sudsy from Madness. He didn't go in, but the children went. I had a good chat with him. And he was working with a musician I knew at the time. So we had a bit to chat about, which was quite nice. Mark Armand from Soft Cell, who went through. Al Matthews came down, a poem. William Hope, who was obviously Gorman. Rico Ross, obviously. And Cleo Rockus. I don't know if you remember her. She used to write and uh, do a lot with Kenny Everett. Yeah. Two or three times. We played a character called Madame Whiplash. That's it. Very cool. Yeah, that's her. Yeah. But also we had Wes, who some of you will have known from the, the videos and stuff. Great big guy, big black guy. And he he was great. 
very, very good in the ring. And he was pretty scary, too. He was our, our opponent, and he had the gravelly voice, didn't he? Yeah. Everyone listening, they said something, just snap too, you know, it was great. We were down, and Wes was doing the groups, and these guys turned up. They were all like this, short hair, military-looking T-shirts and stuff. And when I spoke to them, it turns out they were part of the uh, American Airborne who had been training in Wales with RSAS. And I thought, oh, no, this is going to be... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Real soldiers, real soldiers have turned up. Yeah, so Wes <laughs> took the group. And when we had any problematic or we thought could be of an issue, we have what we call a sergeant. And the sergeant would be another Marine to go round. So I, I dropped the kit on and I went round as his sergeant. And we got into the first corridor and he said to one of them, you, come here. And he's gone, yes, sir. <laughs> and he said, go up the front and make sure nothing's coming. Yes, sir. And he crawled across the floor. Right. And the giving us all hand signals. So this went on until the first attack. And they panicked. Absolutely panicked. They were punching him, kicking each other, trying to get out of the way. <laughs> but in the EEV, oh, oh. Wes went to the door, and that's where our trigger switch was to turn the lights off, get the alien screen, and to slide the door out and get everybody out, and then fire a couple of shots and you're with them. Well, I was down near where the alien was to make sure they came out and wouldn't cause any problems and start trying to, trying to nick an alien or whatever. And it kicked off, and they went crazy. They were running along the top of the seats, the walls, elbowing each other. They didn't care who they were punching and kicking. And they got out the door so quick, it was unbelievable, because they, I mean, they were big guys too. It was so much fun to watch. And they were no trouble at all. And we spoke to them all afterwards and thanked them because it was one of the best groups we'd ever taken. Did you, did you have people, like um, you were saying with the old bikes guy, just disappear down the wrong way? Did that happen often? Did they just, people just panic? And no, because there was, I think, there was a construction design, I think, outside the EV that you could go to the left and up the steps. Can you use that right? Right, straight on and up the steps. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, or you follow the marine round to the right towards the lift. We, we needed like, maybe a gate there. Well, we did put a door there in the end, a big steel sliding door, actually. That went in yeah. the end. But it was up to the Marine to stop people doing that. And if the Marine could quite get to a position, sometimes that could happen, yeah. But we, we also had drunk firemen from the local fire station on their Christmas party. I think it was Mark Shaw was the alien at the barrel attack. And the barrel attack is this big, long, dark tunnel, and you get them all down there, you're at the back. You can be seen. They can't see anything apart from you behind them. At the end, there's a couple of big um, barrels and an alien waiting with his finger on the switch. So, bam, the barrels go over, everyone panics. They run back to you and follow you around the corner. Well, I went running around the corner. Where are they? So I've run back and bumped into 12 firemen carrying this alien going, we've got him for you. (laughs) (laughs) You're not very happy about it, Mark, but it was funny. How did you improvise from that? Did you just say, like, yeah, put the alien down, we'll go over into the next one? They put him down and he legged it. He was really good, Mark. He he was on the ball. What did that guy think when you met him, like, in the tea room later? Which he's like, what the hell happened to me? (laughs) Yeah, he he wasn't very happy about that. Ruined my gag. Oh, he was a bit nice. But he's brilliant. He was a funny guy, Mark. And, and, yeah. Did have a was it a tea? Wasn't it really a tea room? Was it? Was what do we call that? The one that was on in the base, the tech room, the tech room. Yeah, we all had like a sofa. There was a sofa in there. I seem to remember. Was there a sofa in there? Well, there was. There was a few chairs. I think there was a sort of soft sofa or something put in there at one point. 
So the, the aliens, the, the, the Marines would be working. If it was a 15-minute patrol, you, you're working for 15 minutes. But the aliens had like a 30-second attack every group that came around, and that might be one, once every five minutes, once every quarter an hour. So they, they were, you know, they had a good job, really. But because they didn't really know when the group would be coming, because there was no sort of audible cue until you heard them just coming up to where you were supposed to be, they would often sit down and read the paper. And because they, they got comfortable in the suits, they'd have their heads on still reading a newspaper, you know. And it was right next to the fire exit. And sometimes people would either mistakenly or try and sneak in through the fire exit. And they'd be confronted by aliens sitting down. It, 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 all, as one, would, the heads would slowly turn around and look at them, you know. <laughs> And these were like teenagers. That they they screams and run away. You know that was quite funny. That happened quite a lot because <laughs> you can't you can't um, block a fire door, so it had to remain open. The, the the stories like you just said, Doug. You know, with with the carrying the alien or or Eric bopping some poor guy. Was that not a consideration that sort of like Gary had had? It was, but like Steve said, the, the EV attack when the alien was in between you. That was never supposed to be like that. It was going to be this mechanical face hugger, which was beautifully made, but it was just a bit slow and it didn't really sell it. So we soon got rid of it and put an alien in there. Did you come to Pinewood with me when it was being made? No, but Dave Elsie built it. I, I, I saw it being built, the face hugger. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I saw footage of, a, of a, an, a normal alien head as well. Was a mechanical one of those used at all? Yes, yeah, in the lift. Yeah, that's right. It would come uh, the head would come down, and then it would open, and there would be like water dripping out of it as well. It wasn't quick enough, was it? No, and it, it got dumped in the end because it wasn't needed because the lift attack was so good. Getting people out of the lift was an issue. <laughs> That's right, that got a lot of people to plant. People just didn't know that. And that was that ramped up the terror for the final run out of the exit, didn't it? That bit. Yeah. Because I remember being in that lift, and because I think it was the lift sequence, there's a plant that gets taken by an alien. Yeah. And I remember at that point, and I asked my friend who was coming with me on the same group, I said, we both had this thought that at that point, because we had no idea if it was an actor or if they just got grabbed and they were playing along with, we thought, is someone going to grab us? What the hell's going to happen? So that made us sort of stick together closer to when there were things like the EV thing, where there's an alien that just happened to be there. When the alien, that made us all like, run out of here. And you were like, you wanted to stick with everyone that much closer. I, I got, definitely you've got, remember You've got to give a shout out now to, to Emma Heverington, isn't you? Because she was, I think, the best plant we ever had, because she could scream, couldn't she? Yeah, she was brilliant. And she was a little, she was quite a little as well. So people's sympathies were with her. Yeah. The smaller she was, the more athletic the alien became. So you'd have the Marine would go, okay, you, like, seemingly at random point, come and, come and get the door, this door handle on a count of three. One, two, and she'd slide it open. As she slid it open, she'd turn around, go back to the door, and the alien would come in, grab her like this, and just snatch her away, and her legs kicking as she went off yeah. screaming, and then the Marine would slam the door shut. Yeah. And for me, that was the best part that followed that, not that part itself, the bit that followed when he turned to the rest of the crowd and said, okay, I need another volunteer on the door. <laughs> The whole group then were, were like, oh, no, I'm part of the wall. No, not me. No, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lift now. Yeah. Hilarious. You actually, not, most of the time, you'd actually have to physically grab somebody and force them onto the door handle after that. Yeah. Well, all, all the way through the, the attraction, there were sliding hatches, sliding doors. And at all points, you would say, you would grab someone who looked nervous, say, you, come here, put them against the side and say, after three, slide it open, get back quick and let me go through. And you go one, two, and they've gone, and they've disappeared. <laughs> and the last one, you always say, shut the hatch behind you, you don't want them sneaking up on us. So it was set then for the next group. And we did that all the way round. So when you got to the lift, 
and everyone's piling at the lift. We're going to get out. Yay. And the, the last person tagged on from a little secret door was our plant. It's quite dark in there, as you probably remember. Right? You get in and you slide the door shut. Hey, we're getting out. Flick the switch. The hydraulics move up. And it only goes up about, it was about 12 inch off. And then it went, yeah. bang, bang, bang. And the lights yeah. And it felt like you were dropping 15 feet. It was very, very well done. And you say, right, you at the front. Now, it's pitch black. You at the front, who's the plant, and like Steve says, got a hand on the door hand, okay? So, and you, you're doing all this spiel quite loudly. So the alien on the outside has just got his bag out, you know, and he's walking up the steps and got his hands on the handle this way. One, two, and on two, the alien would swing the door open, and that meant the plant swung round and faced the group, and the alien just went, oh, God. And the room's like, Wah! shoot the gun, shut the door. Woo! And that was, it just got everybody. And it was so much fun. It really was good fun. I don't think a single person actually realised that the plant opened and joined the group about, what, a minute earlier, didn't they? I can tell you one story where the plant the plant was definitely recognised. Bill Thomas was told me this story. He was in tech, and uh, there was a group going round, and the alien said to him, the um, plant has gone off to the toilet, whoever it was. Can you do it? So Bill said, yeah, all right, I'll join the group. So he said, so then Bill told me this. So I snuck on the end of this group, and we got in the lift, shut the door. There's a Marine, 12 black women, and me. <laughs> and they're all looking at me. He's just saying, where did he come from? <laughs> so didn't work on that occasion, but there we are. Going back to the, the difference between the earliest days, because originally it was in Glasgow, then it moved to Aberdeen, Bournemouth, and then it went finally arrived in London. How much did the actual set design differ for those locations? Were they of a similar size? Was it a very different sort of thing? Or The Glasgow set was made of 4 by 2 and chipboard with a little bit of dressing and some heavy sliding doors built into like a big stud wall. And that was taken down and moved to Aberdeen and put up. It was taken down again there and moved to Bournemouth. But at Bournemouth, it was scrapped. It went on a lorry. <laughs> God, could you imagine? Could you imagine if you hadn't sold it there? I know you could flog bits on, on on eBay. How much money you'd get for that set? Yeah, we got oh, I've got the entire set of Bournemouth Alien War here if anyone wants to buy it from me. It was a 40-foot trailer loaded 8-foot high with wood. There was loads of timber in it. It was huge. We got 30 quid for it, me and Bill. <laughs> there you are. Yeah, the signage, the Alien War signage for Bournemouth as well, that went missing as well, didn't it? I don't know where that ended up. There, there were more than two signs. I just have the two of them. <laughs> other people might have other signs. How how did the, the events differ in terms of, like, blanking on the word set pieces? You know, in terms of, you know, the big things, the elevator, the, the EEV for London. Was it a similar setup or, or were there significant differences in the big moments? In Bournemouth, you had a ramp up to an opening. And you, as the Marine, you stood there on the ramp and you had up to 12 people in front of you. You introduced yourself. My name's Lieutenant Greenfield. It's my mission today to escort you into this base and to make sure you get out safely. Yeah, that was along those lines. I can't remember the exact words. You liar. And then you took them up the ramp, turned left, and there was a sliding door. Do the thing with the, on the counter three, open the door, you get one of them. You go in, dingy corridor with just very dim blue lights. And there was a zigzag. And there was all sorts that went on, but there was no EEV. Yeah, no, all, all, all the um, all the bases were a different setup because they all had to use a different space. No, the, the Glasgow, Aberdeen and Bournemouth ones were the same. Oh, okay. 
It was the same set, taken down and re how long, did, how long did it take a group to go around those ones? Was it 10 minutes? No, 20. 20? Yeah, oh, bugger me, yeah. You could draw it out if you had more alien attacks. If you were quiet and there were, there were, you could get another two, one or two alien attacks in, easy. But the plant was another marine. You had an alien encounter where an alien actually chased the punters down a corridor. And you're ahead, and they come belting around the corridor, and you stop them in the corridor and shuffle them into this room. Motion tracker for the second time. There's movement. It's moving towards us quickly, quickly, and it's right outside the door. And this marine would run in instead of the alien, so they start they get a scream. <laughs> and and then you had this session in the smoke, and then we'd go round to the lift, and it would be the marine that was taken by the alien. And you jump out, shoot the alien, and tell everyone to run the other way. And they came out and went down the same ramp. As they had entered, they used to slide down the ramp. They didn't run down it. They used to get down that ramp, and and that that was it. They were all over the floor. Most times, there was not a punter on their feet when they came out. They were on the floor. Talking about the the differences of what there were some. I remember at least in the old Aliens comic that used to come out. I think they reported that you experimented with different times, and there was one report that you tried experimenting with up to two hours long. Can that be confirmed, or like what were the differences in runtime? What were the longest no one? No way. Or? I'll tell you now. The longest one there was. We had a great Indian actor called Sahel Sahel uh, Dean who had done some bits in the second Indiana Jones film. And we called him the special edition because he would make out 40 minutes. <laughs> he would make it last. But generally okay. speaking, it, it depended on how busy it was and which Marines and how good the groups were. 20 minutes maximum, really. It was more, more on about 15. I worked a couple of Saturdays, or a few Saturdays, actually, with just Wes, just me and Wes. And it was busy. And you'd go in, do a group, get around as quick as you could, sub 10 minutes, less than 10 minutes in there, come out, be handed another pistol with a few rounds in it, straight back in, and, and Wes would be in halfway round when I was going in, and vice versa. When he was going back in with another group, I'd be halfway round, and we did that hours, and it was hard work, hard work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Saturday work, really, really busy day. I, don't, I didn't find it that difficult, personally. I mean, I sound like a boast. Sitting on your ass, yeah. I was like early early 20s. You two guys are older, and I, I'd have been in the Army eight months earlier. So my, my fitness was probably a bit better. But, yeah, I mean, you're right, though. You know, you're coming in and out, and then you just got uh, – it was physically exerting if you if you were fit. But if you weren't fit, you were screwed. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, we, a lot of people have voice problems. And we did have who was the voice of Audrey 2 on the stage show. And he had to give up because it was destroying his voice. Oh, yeah, he didn't So you guys have mentioned, you know, improvising and, and the way that you would also realise things weren't necessary, like, like the animatronic alien head and stuff like that. How, how much did the details of the attraction sort of develop over the course of, you know, the run? Was it often changing or was, was, did it settle? One of the funniest ones was after the, the first attack, there's a slow bit where you go around towards upstairs to the barrel attack, and we just hung up bits of black thread. And everyone's going, <laughs> just that. You have to remember that no two groups were ever the same. Never. Because you had a group of 12 people who didn't know what was going on. They didn't have a script. They hadn't rehearsed it. And they all did different things. Yeah, I mean, after the first week, everyone was off script, weren't they? And you had to have the ability to ad-lib and improvise every second of the way around that, that tour. Yeah. And if you couldn't do that, sometimes you were in trouble because the group of 12 people 
well, there might be someone in it who could take over from you, basically. <laughs> yeah. Never happened to me, but I know one or two it did. Wow. Battlefield promotion. <laughs> I mean, I I was pretty much always wore the helmet, but they were hot and horrible things to wear. A lot of people wore baseball caps. Some people put like a microphone on. And the, the good reason for having that, and that was brought up during our training, was if you've got that, at any point you forget your lines, you can go and try and remember it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we did. I mean, it, it all added to it. And the best thing you could do in the first or when everyone comes in and you shut the last person shuts the hatch into the briefing room and you say right I'm going to check the corner ahead wait here stay in single file do not get in my line of fire quiet hush them down get them quiet get them to the wall and then you just go it's all you had to do panic <laughs> and it, it was down to the marines to, to really build it up definitely and if you if you did it right you would have them I hope I made that point when when you were training. Yeah. There are a lot more innovations that, that have started happening about six months after opening, but that was the change in the supervisory role in the aliens, and that, that started getting a lot better then. I mean, originally there was no alien attack at either lift. The last time you saw the alien was when the plant went, wasn't it? Yeah. And then you had to you had to get them to the bottom of the steps when they're on the flat there, and then pretend you'd seen an alien and get more running. Yeah. Because you always get a couple in the group going, what? I don't see anything. Um, so we we put an alien attack in there, but that's uh, another question for later, isn't it? Well, we might as well that move on to that one now, actually, because that, that that's quite relevant. You know, Steve, you you were an alien, and uh, in a, a Phil Tippett esque role, the alien supervisor. <laughs> Tell us a little bit, a little about the role, and 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 a little about being in those alien suits. With I, I'm not sure if it was true, but I remember hearing rumours about them actually being stunt suits from the film available to you guys as well. You know what was. No. No. They were basically black spandex with rubber patches attached, which looked good in strobe light, but didn't look good in daylight, did it, guys? Lycra suits. These ones were moulded from an original suit from Fox, one of the stunt suits. They're exactly the same, yeah. apart from the centre neck. Instead of it going up, John Riddell re- refitted it, sculpted it down, because when people did that, it would knock the head off. But they weren't exactly the same. So after, after the success of the first few months, you've only got so many people in the world that want to do it. And the attendance started to drop off a bit. And that's why Toby was mentioning there was only two Marines on on a Saturday. I mean, you couldn't have done that right at the start. You must have been a few months in there, Toby. Because you had like three or four groups in the base at one time, start, and then after that you'd have maybe one group an hour. And so what happened there was that um, the shifts you were allocated got less and less. And that was a kind of dividing line between the locals and the people that weren't locals. Because the locals always get there, you know, you've got your travel card, it's quite cheap to travel in London if you live in London. But travelling from outside no longer became viable, so a lot of people left. And some of the aliens left. And I had an opportunity then to become alien supervisor. And I was like, well, what's alien supervisors do? So well, they direct the attacks and they work out the shift rate for the aliens. I was like, oh, I work out the shift rate for the aliens. All right. So I then just wrote myself in a load more ships. So I was then like, happy and you're getting a decent wage again. No one else suffered from that because people had left, you know, and it just meant I worked more. But that then, that then meant I was on the set a lot more often and you become a lot more pally with the aliens. And, you know, to say that the Marines were like, were great actors, it was an understatement. But the aliens, to say they were mischievous would be like a bigger understatement. The Marines got off on watching people get scared, but the aliens got off on scaring people. So it's a whole different world. And so we just started putting in new new attacks. 
And we test these attacks out. And of course, you didn't need to tell the Colonial Marines these attacks were happening to start with because their, their surprise just added to the, the show. We had, like, for instance, the lift was up and it had like uh, the mechanics under it. So it was elevated, wasn't it? And there was uh, the metal steps, corrugated sort of metal steps going up there and, and a large metal area on the top. What was it? Don't tell me Tomlin's name of it. No, it was checker plate. It was what it was. But... Checker plate, yeah. Sorry, metal checker plate. There was a large platform on the top there where people were shuffled in the lift. Well, right above there were these big pipes and there was an easy way to climb up there on the wall. So what we'd have was when the Marine at the end was, was looking around the corner saying, there's another one coming and people going, no, there isn't. Well, then the alien would drop out the roof and land on the checker plate. We were like, a, crash! And people are looking around and then they turn around and then they ran and they're gone. You know, an alien just falling out of the ceiling. And it was like about a 15 foot fall. But because the checker plate wasn't very well supported, it would flex when you landed on it. So you could do that quite safely. And we put in another attack to cover the problem outside the EEV, where you'd have a Marine and you put another alien up on the top of the, of the set on, on the support bars, reaching down with a hat with a Marine holding on to the bar and doing a pull-up while the hand was coming around down his throat. So they came out of the EEV, looked to the left, and there's a Marine there getting, getting pulled up by one-handed alien, you know. And that, that was great. They'd go around the corner again. And stuff like that, you know, we'd have like, we had the Fox execs come around one time, the executives, and uh, Gary wanted a, a special attack in the EEV. And the EEV attack, he started off with the, the facehugger, then it moved on from the facehugger. Then you had one alien who was sat behind a seat, uh, the pilot seat in the far corner. And because it was dark and shadowed, you couldn't see him. So some people just see him occasionally. So oh, that's an alien. And Marie would go, no, don't be silly. And of course, they'd be right. So what they did then was they cut a hole Behind the seats, the alien could enter through the hole when the lights were out. You had like, a, I think it was a blanket or a bit, a bit of black cloth covering that, didn't you? Because then that lead, that led straight into the tech room, I think. Door into the tech room. So the executives came around. We had we managed to get in, in the three or four seconds the lights were out. We managed to get four aliens through that little hole. And the first one threw himself on the floor. And the second one threw himself on top of him. And the third one threw himself on top of that. And then they waved all the arms and legs down one side. As the fourth one then came rearing up as he was coming through as the lights came on rearing up like this so basically it was this like moving wall of alien flesh with a xenomorph standing in front of it and three or four seconds earlier it was just a wall so that that also got quite a good reaction but like that was a one-off because we, we needed all the aliens in the entire base to do that and normally there were different attacks so being a, the alien supervisor was great because i suddenly got you know decent amount of shifts and i made to make sure that the other guys got decent amount of shifts another guy left and there were like only three full-time aliens on the big problem with the suits, and I think Doug would attest to this, wasn't where they came from or what they were made of or how realistic they were. The problem with the suits was that as you went on and you lost more and more suits to damage, that there were less suits then for the aliens. And there were no plans whatsoever to launder the suits. So you could be in one of these suits that someone else had worn previously for like three or four days, sweating in, jumping around in, like three or four different people had worn it. Bad. And so what we what we did at that point was that the, the aliens are still on the cast, took their suits home with them and washed them in their washing machines. We turned them inside out so the rubber was on the inside. It didn't damage the paint. And so that, that was fine. And then we were like the cleanest guys in town, you know, coming from a situation where you're putting on a suit that's got the sweat of about 30,000 other people in it, or whatever it felt like, to this nicely laundered, smelling of Lenore suit, and zipping out the bay was like luxury. It was like, ah, oh, you know, my suit here. I mean, it, was, it was just a, a whole new experience for the guys. They loved that, but the heads as well. Right? The heads started to fall to pieces after six months or so. And if Doug hadn't been there, you'd have been you'd have been coming and seeing aliens with like no faces on them, or, or you know, the, the head looks a bit short. Yes, because the back's fallen off. But there was an intermediate period there where we went with the tried and tested method of repairing black things very quickly without any sort of like effort called duct tape. I don't know if you've heard of duct tape. 
yeah. famous music by serial killers the world over. But if you've got an alien head with split in it and you've got duct tape around that, that's great. And the feet wouldn't stick on the train. It had a bit of elastic around the back. And of course, that perished. So you just gaffer tape feet onto your trainers. And the hands would, these guys, these guys were like six foot seven, six foot eight. So they had like arms that were 40 inches long. And the suits were just standard extra large spandex gymnast suits. So you always have, they went like this. You suddenly see like three or four inches of arm come out where they've leaned forward. So we ended up gaffer taping the hands onto the suit as well. So if you saw these guys in daylight, it's part Zeno, part gaffer tape in the end. But then um, they picked up the repairs, didn't they? They got these low boy heads in it. It was all right after that. Shortly after that, I left. So I don't know what happened then. Presumably, it started going, the quality started going, the suit started going downhill again. But the strobe, it didn't matter. Yeah. You couldn't see the alien very well with a strobe. And when, when the sound fire system came online, people were just as scared of the machine gun or the pulse rifle as they were of the alien. And it's like I said before, you know, if you've never stood next to someone who's firing a machine gun, try it. it it's kind of very loud, very scary. So talk, talk to me about Soundfire, because that's, I think, one of the more interesting things with the setup for that. Uh, it was Fisher Products that came up with it, a guy called John Fisher and Mark Stracy, and they, they made the electronics for it all and the computer system that did everything in the base with the sounds from the film recording onto it. And back then, this was, this was pretty high-tech stuff. I mean, now you can do it on your iPhone, you know. But the, the Soundfire system had a lot of issues at the start, which is why we were using Blank Fire and Fist. But we had Kenwood, we're in Watford, to make these enormous speakers, like the magnets were like 20 inches across. And these speakers were embedded in the walls. When the Soundfire came live, it was so loud, it shook your stomach. But it wasn't too high a frequency to damage your ears too much, whereas the blank fire was really did hurt your ears. Oh, crap, you're in a closed place, yeah. But it was, it was an excellent system. Bakhti, who made the original Pulse Rockets in the film, you probably know, they backformed one of the ones they had, well, I think it was the one we had from Alien 3, with styrene casings, and they cast aluminium grips and stocks, and then there was a big battery in there, which I used to charge the guns up at night in my office. And there was a strobe on the tip. You had to be within range. You couldn't use the pulse rifle anywhere. Only where one, the speakers were, and two, the receiver was in the wall. So you'd point it somewhere towards where the receiver was and pull the trigger. You would get the sound of the pulse rifle from the film cascading out of the walls and the flash of the strobe at the same time. And it, it did work very well, but the guns fell apart. And somebody in America recently, last night, in fact, sent me a very old picture of me in a flight suit holding this pulse rifle with a, a face hugger. And this pulse rifle is 90% gaffer tape. <laughs> you can see it wrapped in gaffers holding together. We had a lot of smoke in there, and the smoke oil would eat electronics and styrene. So these things fell apart. I mean, it was an ongoing battle to keep the six rifles going. Sometimes we only had one or two working on a day, so they just swapped over really quick. It was difficult, but it worked very well when it worked. Talking about them in regards to immersion, I mean, I've, I've been a, a tour guide and a performer in a, a Halloween event down at, I think, Fort Amherst. It was there's probably the most memorable event that happened from there was we were waiting for the first lot to come in. And as we're, just before the first lot was going to come in, I was going to start sort of guide them through this bunker. One of the guys in the group, he started having a heart attack. 
Now, while we were waiting for the paramedics to turn up, yeah, we, we kind of like joked to one another. We said, well, imagine if they die, the publicity we can get, you know, it's so scary, someone heart attack to death. But did anyone have any like medical difficulties on the actual tour or was there any concerns about, well, if they do, we would do X, Y, Z? Yeah. I used to fill the accident report booking every night. People would bash their arm. Every night. Every night. <laughs> every other night. I did a 12-hour shift every other day with Jerry, who was the other supervisor. And yeah, this book was quite full. You couldn't do it like that today, just because the amount of small injuries. But we never had anyone really badly hurt, as far as I know. I did did have a group once with a a Scandinavian woman in this beautiful pink business suit, skirt, high heels, little sort of Gucci handbag, uh, with her husband. And the group went through, and and she all the way through, she was just like, with her heel, high heels, wasn't interested at all in what was going on. And I didn't, I didn't realize she didn't speak English. Her husband did, and it was lovely. And we got to the first attack, and she saw the alien open fire, and she just went, <laughs> and there was a young lad who used to come around every Saturday. And I said to him, hold this rifle, do not shoot anybody. So I gave him the machine gun. And everyone's going, what's he doing? And I picked this woman up and I've run around the base with the shortcut and I've kicked the exit all over and dumped her on Wes. And I just grabbed another post rifle out the rack and ran back in. I held the record for how many people tried to get their money back from the queue. You're talking injuries. There were also um, other sort of incidents that people didn't want to put in the, the accident book, you know, where they, the, the bowels let go a little bit or, you know, in either direction. That happened more frequently, I think. You sort of check the groups and it, it was always like the, the middle sort of teenagers. I think was, the minimum age was like, was it 12, I think? Yeah, I think it was, yeah. So like your 12 or 13 and 14 year olds sometimes would just lose all control. Of course, then they weren't going afterwards saying, oh, I wet myself, I'd like my money back because, you know, that, that's just embarrassing. When I used to clear up, about midnight, everyone's gone home at 11, quarter past 11 when they got changed and left, signed out. I would go around and clear the base and I would find a sock. No shoe, just a sock. And then bus passes and jewellery and grey bands. All sorts of weird stuff. And they'd all go in the office and the drawer. Quite often people would come back and say, you got my bus pass? Yeah, here you go. And it happened a lot. And I don't know how people lost a sock. I just don't get it. God, what was the, what was the most random the thing that ended up in Lost and Found? Was it the sock or was there anything stranger? The sock was really because that that one really sort of springs to mind. People lost expensive watches, all sorts. Everything went in the drawer. I remember there was a gold chain one time, and it, his owner's name was Tracy. Now back in the in the nineties, they were quite popular. Those those name necklaces, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if Tracy ever came back to get it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was quite an expensive looking chain. But yeah, you find all sorts of jewellery. Yeah. Yeah. So just to pop outside of aliens then, yeah. I wanted to just ask you about some of the rumours about other things. Yeah. You know, there was there was rumours about predator involvement in the attraction and even similar concepts with the Terminator. You know, what's what's the truth behind yeah. those things? I was there for about 18, 19 months and I did build a whole predator suit and the attack Stephen was saying about at the end where the alien jumps down, I got a couple of two or three lasers from Quasar upstairs because they bought us out at that point put them together with a little battery. And when they're running out and the Marines are shooting, yeah, something coming, I'd shine a laser down there in the smoke and just do that with the dreads. <laughs> it looked great. But we only did it a few times and it was generally for people that have been through, oh, I've been here 15 times, I know everything. Oh, yeah. If you wait. <laughs> I think that the Alien War revival in Glasgow in the Arches 
that Gary introduced a predator up there, did he not? I don't know. I don't know. I only went in just before they opened. But there was also a, an attraction in Blackpool, which was based on the same thing, that had a predator. Right, right. And a guy who worked in the Alien War Revival also worked at Blackpool. Oh, right. Oh, okay. It's, not, it's in the 30th anniversary Facebook page. Yeah, I'll have a look. Yeah, I'll look at that. Must have missed that. Was that the non-licensed revival? Uh, it was, yeah. The alien was changed slightly. Yeah. No pulse rifles, yeah. And what about these rumours of the Terminator thing? Was that ever a solid concept or was that just batted about as a... First time I've ever heard of it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I got a data. After I went through it, I do remember thinking, yeah, someone could do this as Terminator style because that would have just been like bunkers and stuff from the Resistance. But it was interesting to hear there were rumours about that. No, I, I, I don't know any about that. I, I don't know. I've not heard anyone talk mm. about that. No, likewise. Well, here, here's one I'm, I found really interesting and I didn't learn about until joining your group for the uh, anniversary thing, which we'll talk about later. But... So th- this was this was something about ghost hauntings and investigation. Oh yeah, yeah, that was definitely definitely a ghost. We all all the Marines there had some sort of experience with banging on the walls coming through. It was like it was you could time it sometimes. I tell you what, you could time it too. You could time it to the shifts when Toby was working. I can tell I can tell you a story. <laughs> now I thought this was common knowledge, but. Steve assures me he didn't know about this. But anyway, in the egg chamber just before it was a container that had been obtained from Heathrow Airport. It was uh, for baggage and, you know, it was one of those things that was loaded on the planes to put your suitcases in. Big metal thing. Well, I was originally full-time there. And, of course, through the week, sometimes you'd be a bit quiet. And there were always plenty of Marines working in the early days. So I used to sneak into the set, get inside this container... And when the group was walking by, I'd rattle it around. Bang, 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 bang. And it moved quite easily. You could make it move but just by being in it and rocking it and bang. Anyway, Steve said, yeah, well, we, we could hear this bang in there, but every time we went to check, there was no one in it. I said, well, I buggered off as soon as the group had gone. So I wasn't there for very long. And I only did it, I don't know, maybe 25 times. 100 or 200 times. Yeah, yeah 25 times, I had. Or maybe more. But Steve said to me last night, we were having a chat, and I was telling him, and he said, maybe it was you that was the ghost then. Well, I never bloody thought about that. All the Marines were convinced it was haunted because every time you got in the back of the set, there was this banging noise, and you'd go and check, and there was no one there. You know, how else do you explain that? Yeah. It was a, the obvious answer, and I think that's where that rumour started from there and then travelled from that point onwards. Well, I do remember there was a report of at least one customer saying they got thrown across the EVP. With Yes. Now, that was in Maria's group, and it freaks, that freaks Maria out because she said he just took off and crashed into the people on the other side. And he thought it was amazing, and he wondered how we'd done it. Maria's, Maria was just like, this guy just took off. Great secret, yeah. So she, she witnessed that? Yes, she did. But there's something we never got to the bottom of. Now, Gary Gillis, he got onto this straight away, so he got these uh, psychic investigators around. And up until that point, I, I was obviously... Every other night, I was locking up, clearing the base. I put the house lights on, make sure everything was clean, lock the doors up as I went through. And one night, that container went bang as I was walking past it. And I thought, oh, not Toby. He doesn't work here anymore. And I was laughing about, come on, lads, out you come. So I've gone round. There was no one in it. But I could only put that down to contraction, expansion. Yeah, I was going to say. It's aluminium. But then another day, on the back corridor, where the sub-level 2 lit-up sign was, 
We had all these sort of kind of mesh, metal, and plastic tiles. And as I walked along, one fell down. I thought, oh, that's weird. And then the next one, and the next one, and the next one, about 15 fell out. They speeded up. But again, that could be explained as one fell out, made them all loose, and then they all come out like dominoes. But that made me think, and I thought, oh, yeah, not about that. But anyway, going back to Gary, he got a team of psychic investigators in, and they went round the place, and they said to us that it, it was the spirit of a child. That's, that's all they really did. <laughs> but it did go into the press. It, it, that story got into the press. And I think that kind of helped. Yeah, that would have been, that was great. Really. Great for business. Hey, not only are there aliens, but it's also haunted. Come along and bring your money. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think Gary um, made that very deliberate decision for such a reason? Yeah, but it was a wise plan. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, as far as I know, that, that's, that's all we know is that, was that one thing that Maria saw, but no one could explain it. So we don't know. Well, no, the, the real ghost of Alien War, the one that was that did the thing again and again and again, the, the real one was, was down, he's there, he's right there looking at you. Look, Toby. <laughs> Toby Ghost Greenfield. So it's important to remember that back in the 90s, especially in the UK, we never really properly exploited the horror genre for experiences like this, even though we had like the Hammer horror films and stuff. We never really did it on this scale. We had like Butlins, Thought Park, but Alien War was operating very much in a, a gap in the market. That's right, yeah. How did it feel knowing you were effectively pioneering for the UK a new type of attraction, especially with the Hollywood tie-in? Didn't even think about it. We did, no, we didn't. It, it was just—it was our job, and we were having a great. We night. just worked. We worked it. Yeah, yeah. And what about thoughts after the fact? I was quite touched when I heard. When I, I really talked about it before we came on, Aaron. That, um, the cosplay groups around the world who were still playing Colonial Marine groups, Colonial Marine squads, pretty much—I'd say—I don't know—at least seventy-five percent of their stories are the same. That they got into the genre because of the Aliens movie, but their obsession started when they went to Alien War, and we terrified them. Because fear, fear is a good motivator. And, and I mean, a lot of them after that, they, they've been rescued, saved by these great, great military heroes who rescued them. <laughs> armed with just a rifle <laughs> and a sidearm, you know. And, and they, they wanted to be us. And so they became us. And that's why that's why you have so many groups. I mean, these groups aren't just like, wait, one in Scotland, one in Germany. They're, they're all over the world. I've said the most organized are the, the, the German colonial marines. But um, I think that's a that's a national stereotype, isn't it? Be organised. But there's there's hundreds of people playing colonial marines on this group in Poland, France, Spain, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, United States. A quick opportunity to say hi to everybody. Hi guys. Yeah, marines. <laughs> <laughs> and aliens. Hi Melissa. Hi Rich. Well, by the time Alien War moved to London, just about a year, I think, had passed since the release of Alien 3. Now, Alien 3 was largely at that time perceived as a disappointment by the general public. Would you say this either helped you because many fans were wanting a return to, you know, pulse rifles and things? Or would you say, looking back, that the negative publicity around Alien 3 might have even hurt Matt? I don't think it ever, ever made any problem. No, it made a difference. No. You're, you're talking, about, and again, it's a pre-internet age, a uh, pre-social media age. There were no mobile phones. Mm. There was no, like, uh, um, internet. If you wanted to stay in touch with a friend of yours, you had to get his home telephone number and then call him while he was in to leave a message with his mum if he weren't, you know, that sort of stuff. So no one, it was an individual thing. You want to see Alien Theater at cinema, I didn't like it. Well, who could you talk to it about it with? Yeah, it's true. 
your friends. That was it. So these days, if you go on some of the groups on Facebook, the things they say about those later moves, especially for Jesus, it's like, you know, it's like that they murdered their mothers or something. But at the time, there was none of that because people just couldn't communicate like yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. So we were never, and we were never affected by that anyway. We were insulated because we were re recreating aliens. You know, we were, we were colonial marines. That was our role. And actors, actors do tend to get a bit well, one track minded, don't they? When they're in a role, that's their role. That's who they are. I think it's, it's called method acting, isn't it? Yeah. And there were a lot of people that method uh, colonial marines though, back in the day. Mm. But John Gorman, who was one of the two guys with Gary Gillis that came up with it all, he decided to paint all of the area where the entranceway was as Alien 3 all rusted down and originally our briefing room was all very bright and grey and very aliens and that then got rusted down as well to make it old but to be honest it looked good but Alien 3 wasn't that big a hit I would have thought that Aliens would have possibly been a bit better but it still looked good it was a lovely looking sort of set right oh well you did you did get that out of it Doug because if it hadn't been for Alien 3 you wouldn't have got to meet Brian Glover (laughs) (laughs) Very true. You had a much better group with Brian, a much better group than Toby. Toby just had Lance Henriksen and Sigourney Weaver. You got to meet the great Brian. That's enough! (laughs) (laughs) Now, while um, Alien 3 would, you know, it closed down in 96, it did go on to inspire and spawn. Sorry, Alien (laughs) what? See? On my mind. It did go on to inspire and spawn spiritual successes like Alien Descent or Alien Escape or even the fan-run Aliens Encounter experience the UK Colonial Marines used at the um, National Space Centre. We're wondering if any of you had the opportunity to go through, you know, those ones or even, as one of you was saying earlier, the Alien War itself, if your opinions differ, if it even gave you ideas for, you know, later reopenings and such. I didn't go through any of them. I was asked to help out at the first of the, the Space Centre ones. I was actually filming abroad and I couldn't go. I'd been there previously the year before with Harry Harris, just helping put bits out. And, and it, it was good fun. But uh, yeah, I never got to go. Really. But after Alien War, about four or five of us from there managed to keep hold of a few bits. I got the moulds out for the alien head, the moulds for the marine armour that was platform from the stunt set of Beatrix grabbed up with and blamed powers everybody. So we had all that, so we made more armor. We got alien suits together and we set up a thing called Xeno, which was a twenty four hour live roadway thing in a warehouse in what and we dressed it all and you, you started in that in your underpants. It was like you were a proper roleplay game for real. And you had to find guns that only had this you had one lighter that would last two seconds. Your torches all had flat batteries. And it went on and you had to find your way to the gun room, the armory, get your armor and stuff. And this ran, I think we ran about eight or ten of them. And it went really, really well, but we lost the site and it all kind of collapsed. It was all done on one guy put some money in, uh, Chris, and then about four or five of us playing or some other friends kind of got it running and working. It was great fun. And we've had a few people put up on the Alien 30th our page, actually, some photos that they took there. So it's nice that people remember that. Any other guys? Did you get to do go through any of the um, spiritual successes? No, not a single one. I didn't even know they were on. To be honest with you, I mean, I've been working hard since they're doing other things, and it, it, you know, Facebook for me, which is the one that eventually is connected all together again, isn't it? Facebook. We're we're here now because of Facebook. Yeah, that's right. Doug, you're forgetting one, and that's that school in Car Shelton. Oh my God, yes. Where we did the, the, uh, an alien war type resurrection thing. It was Julie the plant. 
was her daughter's school. That's right. Yeah, Leanne. Yeah, Julie, right. we married Bill, and it yeah. was Bill who organised it all. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah, it was around this old school building. It was really good. And we were starting to say we wore, but the, the only guns we could do is what I got hold of some capsule guns we used in film, which are basically paintball guns. And we just had CO2 in them. So when you fired, it meant <coughs> and you got a little bit of muzzle. Stuff. It was like a silencer. And that worked. That worked really well. We had a morgue with zombies in, didn't we? That's right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a proper horror thing, but it had aliens in it as well. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. And it was all to raise money for the school. We did it two years in a row, didn't we? I think we did it twice. Did we do it three times? We did it twice, yeah. So I think it's fair to say that this part of your lives has, has stuck around a, a fair bit in, in you know, in, in your guys' hearts and heads. And to the point where 2022, you're doing a, a brand new revival. 2023. You know, 2023, sorry. 30 years of, of an alien war. So could you tell us a little bit about what, folk can expect from Alien War 3.0. I've had this friend that organised the last get-together, a 25-year one, and he was just there, Doug. <laughs> and Doug said that the 25-year reunion was very difficult to organise. I think the terms he used were herding cats and nailing down jelly. Yeah. And so he knew that I'm quite an organised person. And in fact, he didn't realise I'm a megalomaniac. And so he asked me to organise the 30th anniversary. And I know, because I spent a lot of my career organising parties with various people, that the way to organise an event isn't to do it all yourself, it's just to appoint people who are competent at doing something and expertise in a certain area and then giving them orders. And that's what we've done. We've had people like now, we're coming out of the woodwork, wanting to wanting to join in because of their love of aliens and alien war and the, and the genre. And, and out of like, we've got 450 people in our organisational forum. And out of that lot, we've got like armourers, guys that make pulse rifles, guys that make costumes, the work. So we've got, we've got prop guys, we've got people that manufacturing, We've got vacuum formers, people that do lead moulding, metal moulding, anything you can think of. And that's made basically giving us the ability to, to make, a, instead of what was going to be a reunion of the old staff at a pub somewhere, a recreation of the concept, at least. And we're going to run it alongside an Aliens fan convention. Because, I mean, a lot of us have spent our careers in acting. And so some of our contacts are, you know, gold standard contacts. We've got uh, journalists involved and photographers involved and uh, photo studios doing pictures and things like that. And we've got a graphic designer, Jules. Hi, Jules. He did his post for free. Uh, and all he wanted for this was some, some old pieces of kit from Alien War because he's an Alien War now. <laughs> so we got like a poster design for like, what did it cost us? It cost me uh, a couple of photo frames and some alien toys. I think Doug had a t-shirt in, you know, an original 30-year-old t-shirt. But Jules loves that stuff, so he'll do anything now. But he's going to work on the set with us. And what we basically found was that instead of building a set like Alien War, which would cost you, I don't know, 50 grand, 60 grand, maybe more these days, Doug, you tell us that one, 100 grand maybe. And then trying to run a long-term business, which then gets you in trouble with, uh, you know, Disney, who don't want you to run a long-term business unless they're in charge, and all that other stuff. What we're doing is a fan convention, which gives us a lot of leeway with things like copyright and stuff like that. So we're running a fan convention and also an Alien War attraction in the evening. Now, the reason we're doing it in the evening is because well, we don't have a set because we can't afford to build one because there's there's very little money in, into this at all. You know, the, the principals are putting in a few hundred each to have T-shirts made and sales of that will then increase our profits and then hire a stage for the event and stuff like that. So what we found was we found a guy who used to work at Alien War. Do you name him now? Mr. Bickford. Yeah, PJ, yeah. He's got a, a, basically a, like an estate, hasn't he? With like, uh, he's got eight acres out in, in Kent and three of those acres are forest. And we thought, forest? Imagine Alien War set in a forest at night 
with the aliens lit up by the gunfire and, you know, very little, very little ambient light around and, you know, things coming out of the trees at you in all directions instead of just the corridor where you know they can come from. Above you, with the sides, and with people that are just 30 years out of date and what we can do. And like Doug said earlier on, you learn a few tricks over the years and we've had time to think about it as well. And I would say that this, this, this event, if we don't have people crapping them, literally crapping themselves, I would be very surprised. <laughs> it's going to be terrifying. We've got three acres of forest and we've got, we're setting up a building in the forest, a one and a half acre width, a size alien net. Not too much. Not too much. Oh, okay, okay. So, and then the alien, the alien war will take place around the nest. And of course, the nest will be there and you'll always have that. You know, imagine you standing next to an alien nest at night in a forest. Just that on its own, with the forest noises on its own is scary enough. The problem would be what if it rains? But then as you were describing it, I think if it rains, that would add to the atmosphere. Well, yeah, but, I mean, and, and the forest here is, is, I would describe it like the evil dead forest. I don't know if you've seen that before. <laughs> but the forest and that. Very, very thin trees with very, very yeah. wide canopies. So even if we were there at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, weren't we, Doug? And it was still quite dim in the forest, dimly lit. It scared me in daylight being in that forest. So God knows what it's going to do to people at night when there's xenomorphs, you know, machine guns going off with special effects. It's going to be it's going to be horrific, and that's that's what people pay for, isn't it? But we only need to do it over two days to raise money for charity, so we're not going to have any problems like you know where where the, the customers will die off eventually, and we'll, we'll be stuck in this forest all day waiting for people to turn up. You know, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So we're now setting up on a Friday. We're running it Saturday and Sunday, and then we're done until, of course, the thirty fifth anniversary of Alien War. T shirt here, which says Alien War three point oh. Well, three point oh is just a play on thirty years. The T-shirts we actually have made, for instance, the old T-shirt used to say, I survived across the back shoulders. Our new T-shirts say, I survived 30 years. Because, you know, it's kind of like, that's the, that's the inheritance that we've got, that we've got the original, the original staff, the ones basically hired from, like, you know, uh, thousands of people to, to, to pull the roles, who got together to uh, organise this and, and put it on for the public, just for the love of it, basically. Well, for them, it's the love of it. For us, it's the love of terrifying people at night in the forest. And it's been very well received. We were putting posters up, which uh, our, our graphic designer, Jules, had designed for us. And people were just were not believing that the posters were real. They thought it was just some fan thing, you know. And then they found out it was real. And you could like, I don't know if you're on Facebook, it's normally kind of like a very sterile environment, unless you're arguing with someone American or something, isn't it? But it's very sterile. And you could actually feel the interest sort of building. I don't know, maybe I'm delusional. But you, could, you know what I mean? You could feel it. As the time got by, more and more people got informed. And then and then we opened up the forum. Oh, no, we, we opened the forum up. And suddenly the forum went up from like uh, 50 members, didn't it, to like 300 in, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And now I think it's around about 500 people. But to be in a forum, you've kind of got to be like willing to, to help out. Yeah. Well, you guys are helping out now with publicity. This is the first on, on proper publicity you've done for it, really, outside of Facebook, really. So we're hoping that, you know, when we get closer to the time, you'll, you'll do some free publicity as well. Have to graciously appear in your podcast. Maybe maybe put a couple of posters on your site. There's going to be a news post about the, uh, the convention and the weekend. Don't you fucking worry. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when there's UK-based stuff like that, I will jump all over it because I'm going to be down there. I'm going to be down there with you. Four, the four principals involved in this are me, Toby, Doug, and Maria Bergman. Maria, who um, is in Germany, so couldn't be on the podcast with us tonight. Everyone remembers Maria, don't they? Everyone knows Maria. I think if you ever see a picture of a girl Alien War with a red bandana, that's Maria. And she was the darling of Alien War, and everybody loved her. She was like backwards. Everyone thought she was amazing and loved her. 
I don't think she ever really appreciated the, the fact of that, did she? Because, I mean, when you've got that much love and attention pouring on you, you're just going to be like, yeah, these people are crazy. She was great. Yeah, she was. I don't know anyone, I don't know anyone who ever, ever has ever spoken about Maria and they haven't had that sort of love in their eyes. She's running a cosplay girls group for us. I don't think they decided on a name yet, did they? There was something like uh, the girls of Alien War or something, the girls of cosplay or something like that. Um, we've arranged a photo shoot for those, the girls who are, are going to sort of publicize our stuff along their side, their stuff. So you know, we've got like a journalist involved. He's going to take, they're going to have pictures taken in their favorite cosplay outfits and a story about why they got into that sci-fi in the first place, who their favorite character is. And it's going to be a kind of like female empowerment in sci-fi piece. But that's, um, that's the inheritance from Sigourney Weaver. Because up until she came along, most of the women in movies were going to get slaughtered, weren't they? Yeah, good point. Yeah. But yeah, but um, we're raising money for, for three charities. We've got two in-house charities that are going to help out colonial marine units around the world. And any excess money we have is going to go to SAFA, which is the Soldiers, Sailors and Air Force Association. Well, now with the talk of the charity stuff, it makes the next question sound like cheap, um, you know, freeloader kind of thing. And that, and that was the big question we'll want to know is, is are those vouchers from the Alien v- Trilogy VHS set going to get us in? No, look at the date on the bottom. Did it come with an expiry, Doug? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Damn it. That's not the first time we've heard that question. And to be honest with you, <laughs> what, we, what would we would give you for those uh, if we did accept it? We'd say, like, yeah, we'll give you a pound off. Uh, you know, you're probably better off keeping the vouchers. Keeping as it part for of Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. But that's, that's actually it for Alien War-related stuff that we've got written down, but... Since we've got Doug on, I cannot not ask you about a certain modelling photo shoot that occurred for a very iconic reference book for Alien fans. Yeah. Well, this this came about. Harry Harris, I don't know if you know, was actually working at Alien when it was being built, helping with the sound and lighting, because that, that's his profession. Yeah, yeah. And we got chatting and we became quite good friends. And, and he came to see me. He asked me if, if I fancied dressing up in his Hudson armour. And I was like, yeah, it will stop me. Why? And he said, well, it, it, it's for a book, a friend of mine's book about um, the aliens. And I said, yeah, yeah, cool. So on my one day off every other day, I got a train from Watford right through London, right out to Colchester. And I tried the armour on. I had Bill Paxton's trousers, his shirt, I had my own pants, I'd like to point out. And I had to wear my own boots because Bill Paxton's feet, I think, were a size smaller. And... Well, all of the stuff, pretty much. Uh, the pulse rifle wasn't an original, and neither was the uh, motion tracker. But we did all these photos for Lee, for his book, and the famous photo of me looking like, he said, just look pissed off. Look like you don't want to be here. You're a Marine that's been dragged in. So, so that's where that expression came from. And I said to Harry at the time, why don't you do this? He said, you look like a Marine. He said, I just look like a fat bloke in armour. Well, I'd like to point out now, I probably look like a fat bloke in armour. <laughs> but yeah bless harry he could have done that and i i thoroughly enjoyed it and it, it went you know by for years and years and in 2012 i was working on fast and furious 6 we were filming in glasgow so i rang up gary gillies and i thought what are you doing so oh, we're doing an alien war again come down while i was supposed to be sleeping me and matt one of the guys working with me he was a comic book nut we stopped at a comic book store and we found a new version of the Marine book. I said, oh, they've reprinted it. It's a different colour. So I bought it. Anyway, I went down to Alien War that was being redone for the 20th anniversary and got to go walk around the set with Gary and John. And I met some of the Marines that were training. And I was sitting down in the canteen at this table showing Gary the book. And these Marines walked and they went, oh, my God, it's you. <laughs> well, you know, people still remembered it. And I remember that the books for a while were really, really expensive. They were four, five hundred pounds. 
Yeah, they they got to be a very big collector's piece, yeah. And now the market's flooded there. Yeah, two and six. <laughs> yeah, well, now I'm thinking about on eBay for like five quid each, and they make good gifts. Signed by the Alien War cards. Thank you for your assistance. I'm still in about ten now, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm signed about at least five or six. Yeah, but it, it, was, it was a lot of fun to do it, very much. And your professional life also took you to working on Prometheus, if I'm not mistaken. I did, yeah. I got into film TV mainly. I did Soldier, Soldier, London's Burning, a uh, series called Bugs, things like that. Lots of TV commercials, pop videos, and then it went into film. And one thing led to another, and I was working on Harry Potter's and I finished on the last one and I went off to do, I don't know what it was, but I, then I came back and didn't have any work and our tenant company we used to work for asked me if I'd come and do some pyro on a kids TV thing. It was a tryout for this new magician show at the Pinewood. I said, yeah, yeah, I'll go and do it. So I've gone there and they've, the call sheet said six, six o'clock. So I got there at 6 a.m. They said, no, no, we don't need you till six in the evening. I was like, oh. So I just walked down Pinewood and I told you, my trainee at the time, and he now owns, he's the director of our tent, funny enough. We were walking around and I bumped into Steve Hamilton, who was my workshop supervisor on Harry Potter. Absolutely fantastic guy. And he said, oh, what are you doing? So I just did this. He said, oh, well, come down and see us with the back lot in a, in a kind of tent workshop. So, okay. So I walked down there and there was the chassis of these three Tartra eight wheel drive trucks, which was stuck missile launchers, basically, built in the Czech Republic. And he said, We're doing these for the new Alien film. And I was like, When can I start? And he said, When can you start? And that was it. I was in. It was fantastic. And I had a team of about four guys building truck number two. And our one had a really good engine in it. And it was one used for all the really fast driving scenes. It had a, a hero cab. But the back was empty, whereas the hero vehicle, number one, had all the interior in the rear and stuff. And we had three months to build those three vehicles. There was another one, which was a pickup truck as well. And we did it. It was very, very long days, long weekends and whatnot. But a great job. Loved it. Then I was asked while they were shipping the vehicles off to Iceland to be shot, because I got to the effects workshop at Effects Associates. And I went up there and I was doing a rig, which was the, the lift-up of the engineer's head in the scanning chamber and the scanner thing. It goes over it. Well, I'm sitting underneath it, cranking handles. Okay, and I'm looking through little gaps in it so I can see where things are, where they move the stock out, mark the belts and stuff. And then I did the pilot seat as well, this Elvis seat, which had a little switch on it, hidden switch, so it would it, it, it go back and the switch. I don't think they ever used it to be honest, but yeah, that, uh, that was one of the other things. We did all the shaking of the, of the set. The whole set was on hydraulics. And then just sort of taking off and landing and the crashing of things and stuff. It was it was a busy job and I must say it was one of the funnest films I've worked on. I also then another guy Richard built the big section of the juggernaut, which was the, the alien ship, the, the engineer ship, which rolled over Vickers and I think that was about thirty foot in diameter this bit. And it was just a small section of it to roll over. Run to the side. So, yeah, it, it was a fantastic film, and the detail on that movie was incredible. Arthur Max was the uh, production designer. Even the seatbelts in our vehicles had Wayland Industries logos stitched on them with all of their snapping strains, everything. That much detail was in the whole movie, and unfortunately, you don't see a lot of it. Some of the vehicles that you made ended up in a museum as well, one of the vehicle museums. One in- did. I, one of them was crushed. I think that was the pickup. And I think my one, number two, I think that may have gone to America, but I'm not 100% sure. I think one of them was in a museum up north. That's the last I heard. 
that's all from us. Is there anything any of you guys would like to add? Come to a new war 3.0. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's no excuse. Don't miss it this time. I'm not going to miss this one. Don't you worry. Brilliant. And if Eric comes along, no punching the aliens. <laughs> You'll have to have the sergeant keeping an eye on him. He's, he's yeah, a yeah. bit of a troublemaker. <laughs> Do you want to signpost people to the website now, or is it still a bit too early? Oh, we're still running the boot camp registration at the moment, yeah. With the, the website for tickets goes uh, live in May next year. Yeah. Is the boot camp still accepting people, then? Do you still want people to know oh, about yeah, that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, sure. Definitely. You want to read it out so that everyone can understand it? Yeah, you might as well. And, and I'll include links in the actual news post that goes up with the um, the podcast as well. Okay, the website address is www.alienwars.com. 30.co.uk and that's wars as in w-a-r-s yes yep okay cool so anybody interested in being a colonial marine or an alien yep or event staff even you don't have to be into the acting to be a member but all the staff are voluntary and all the staff require training because of the health and safety policy do you have to have your own costume and stuff or is that like provided by no, you don't. Not to attend boot camp, no. We've got instructions going out in a memo next week about um, the different types of camo people provide and different sort of price ranges. And you can actually get yourself in pretty convincing colonial marine uh, camouflage now for 40 quid. But that's top and bottom. And the event will have a certain amount of armour that will be lent out to people actually doing the attraction. But we also always need event staff, you know, people to run the various areas of the site for the convention bar. If we don't get enough of those people, then the, the marines will be doing that as well. <laughs> yeah. Know, about 42 people signed up for that. I think at a minimum, we could probably run it with about 30 because we're keeping it separate. We have the convention during the day, the convention will close, and an hour later, the daily war attraction will open. Give people who come to the convention time to go back to their hotel or whatever, or you know, back to their car, have some lunch, relax for it, and then be scared half to death. <laughs> Which is, um, my, my, my other half said, What is the mission statement? I said, Well, scaring the living crap out of people. That's kind of the mission statement in one sentence. That, that's what we're doing. And we are the best equipped people on planet Earth to do that in this genre. The other thing was, like Steve had said before, not here obviously, but if you haven't got costumes, you haven't got anything, and you want to come along, please do, because there will be other stuff there we can do. We need people that accompany people. We need the bad guys. We need all sorts. We need people. We need people in white lab coats walking around with a little Wayland Rutani badge. That, that's not expensive. And a clipboard. Sort of thing. Ten quid for them. We were fully equipped. Yeah, yeah. So, that, so don't feel you've got to have all the best gear and all that kind of thing. Come along and enjoy it. Right. So, guys, girls, you know, if you're interested, make sure you check out the website again, AlienWars30.co.uk, and we'll include a link in the all the posts, YouTube and and the website. So if you're too lazy to type it out, you can just click it and uh, get involved. All right, well, thank you guys for joining us. It is genuinely appreciated. And like I said, I always love to hear about this iconic event and, and to have the chance to go back and try a new incarnation of it is something I'm really fucking excited about. So thank you. Thank you. No, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks Eric. Right, and before we sign off and give all the usual crap that I hate doing at the end of an episode, we'd just like to once again thank Toby and Doug and Stephen for coming on the show to talk to us about Alien War in the past and, of course, what's coming up in the future. Now, on that vein, Stephen did pass a uh, list of people that he wanted to thank but didn't get the opportunity to in the episode. And so Eric and I will just, just go through those folk. We shall. So Gary Gillis and John Gorman for the original concept. 
Terry English for all his efforts over the years and his direct assistance in getting Doug McCarthy into film work. The lovable Harry Harris, and he is lovable. If if you've never met him, uh, I've been meaning to have him on the show for ages. Actually, he's, he's a wonderful bloke. If if you Google Harry ha- Harry Harris's Alien Archive, you'll see all the stuff that he has. It's there's loads. So the lovable Harry Harris for keeping Alien War alive and not just in our memories for the last three decades. PJ Bickford for donating the land for Alien War 3.0. Daz Moss for his ongoing assistance with publicity. Jules Peacock for his design work. Sean and Tracy Broadhurst and Neil Storey for providing marine weapons and armour. Get well soon, Sean and Tracy. They got the Delta variant. Hazel Duncan, who designed the electronics to make the uh, pulse rifles function like real weapons. Thank you, Hazel. And the GERMCM, the German Colonial Marine Group, for their assistance and enthusiasm for this drop right from the start, with a special mention to Captain Frank Peters for his continued intellect. And finally, they'd like to thank their new recruits who they're meeting for the first time in May 22nd, Alien War 3.0 Boot Camp. They couldn't have done this without their uh, fantastic volunteers. And so if you've come to this episode more interested in those guys than uh, knowing who we are, I've got to do the obligatory plugs so you know where you can find out more about us. The hub of our activity is avpgalaxy.net, and that's where all the news and the written content is all posted, as well as old school message boards if you'd rather talk and communicate online in that fashion rather than Facebook. That said, we're also on all the socials. So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, and that is Alien versus Predator Galaxy, as in VS Dot or AVP Galaxy. You'll find us under either moniker. And that's it. So thank you everybody for watching or listening, depending on how you uh, how you how you do these things. Um, we do appreciate it. Thank you everybody who reaches out to us with feedback and let's know how they're enjoying the content that we put out if you are interested in dropping us a line with some thoughts you can reach us on podcast at avpgalaxy.net or just uh, leave a comment in the post or the platform that you are listening to us on um, reviews especially help us and our visibility unless the shit reviews then we don't want to hear but thank you <laughs> thank you everybody for listening this has been corporal hicks xenomorphine signing off